Chapter Twenty Nine of Titus, a Comrade of the Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Titus, a Comrade of the Cross by Florence M. Kingsley. Chapter Twenty Nine. Titus awoke on the morning of the fifteenth of Nisan with a dull consciousness of impending horror. This was the day he stared with wide unseeing eyes at the wall of his dungeon and muttered again and again this is the day this is the day this is the day presently he heard a sound were they coming even now to take him he started to his feet and crouched shuddering in the furthest corner of his dungeon no twas only the bread and water thrust in by the rough hand of his jailer he drank greedily of the water but the sight of the food sickened him then he gave himself up to the agony of listening the untended wound in his head had festered, and his veins ran hot with fever. He half forgot for what he was listening, as the hours dragged slowly on, and when, at last, the great bolts turned in their sockets and the door opened, he started up with crimson cheeks and a light, blood-curdling laugh. "'Thou hast come at last!' he said airily. The centurion stared at him. "'Bring him out quickly,' he commanded, and bind upon him the cross. "'What?' said one of the soldiers. "'Shall we not first scourge him?' "'Nay,' said his superior. "'Twas not so ordered. "'Besides, we must hasten. "'They must all be dead by the going down of the sun, "'and it is already near the sixth hour.' "'Quickly they bound upon his back "'the transverse pieces of the cross, "'and hurried him out from the prison gate. "'As the fresh air smote him, "'his dazed senses cleared a little. "'He saw that Dimachus, "'also bearing the ominous pieces of wood, "'and similarly guarded by four soldiers, "'was waiting in the courtyard.' He had been scourged, as his blood-stained garments witnessed, and he was blubbering and blaspheming under his breath. "'Ha! Jew!' he yelled hoarsely, as he caught sight of Titus. "'Now, indeed, lookest thou the son of the high priest!' But the centurion smote him on the mouth and bade him be silent. Under the escort of a strong detachment of legionaries, the two cross-bearers were marched rapidly forward. Not far from the prison they came to a halt. "'Why did they not bring him to Antonia?' said one of the soldiers in a low voice he hath but just been condemned there was no time they will join us here said another hark they are coming now dost hear the roaring of the mob then came the slow measured tramping of soldiers a few sharp quick orders and again they moved forward they had reached the city gate and were about to pass through when again came the order to halt what is it asked one of the soldiers who guarded titus the fellow hath fallen under his cross answered a man who was perched aloft they have caught a stout countryman who but just came in and have bounded upon him thou shouldst see his face and he burst into a great laugh outside the gate a seething mass of humanity on either side of the road the people stood packed in serried ranks they clustered in dense masses on roofs and walls and trees titus looked and his brain reeled had all these come out to see the torture of three wretched thieves for so read the accusation which was bound in staring letters on his breast Amid the savage, unceasing roar of the multitude, he could hear the shrill wailing of women, and now another sound caught his ear. Twas a voice which he had thought never to hear again. "'Father! Titus! Jesus!' shrieked the voice. He caught a glimpse of a white face as it fell back into the crowd. For the first time he struggled fiercely with his bonds. "'Let me go!' he screamed. "'Hold thy peace, thief!' said the centurion savagely save thy shrieks for thy cross and he smote him on the head with the flat of his sword after weeks of fruitless search and forlorn wandering stephen had reached jerusalem 
he had determined to go to caiaphas and give into his hand the embroidered tunic and tell him all that he knew of titus ragged hungry and footsore he had knocked at the great gate of the palace and been refused entrance by the portress see the high priest indeed she had said scornfully go thy way beggar but indeed persisted stephen i must see him tis a matter of the sorest need well thou shalt not come in for all of that thy urgent business can wait and with a loud laugh of derision she had slammed the heavy door in his face then he had wandered away to the temple with the vague hope of seeing the man he sought where is the high priest he inquired innocently of one of the temple police the high priest beggar what dost thou want of him said the man i must speak with him and i cannot gain admittance at his house canst thou not said the man derisively tis a wonder they should have urged thee to come in and given thee the best room stephen looked steadily at the man while a slight flush rose to his cheek i am not a beggar he said though tis like enough that i look one but i must see the high priest i would tell him of his son his son echoed the man thou art mad he hath no son go thy way thou canst not see the high priest tis a notable day with caiaphas and indeed with all of us for to-night we eat the passover and to-day we shall see a great sight the nazarene is to be crucified the nazarene said stephen wildly crucified oh it cannot cannot be but it can be my impudent young beggar all the city will be there to see it i myself but stephen had gone he was running wildly though he knew not why nor whither presently he found himself in the midst of a great throng all hurrying like himself let us stop here shouted a man to his fellows we shall see it all finally here stephen looked at him beseechingly is it true he gasped but the man did not answer i shall climb up here he shouted again scrambling as he spoke into a stunted tree which grew by the roadside the crowd still poured out from the city gate in countless thousands and stephen carried along by its resistless tide found himself near the verge of a little hillock not far from the highway here the people were kept back by a triple cordon of soldiers tell me said stephen again this time to a sad-faced woman who stood next to him in the press what doth this mean is it true that and his voice broke in a sob that they are going to put the nazarene to death alas yes she answered tis true ah the pity of it and the shame tis the high priests they have always hated him twas only last night that they took him in the garden of gethsemane early this morning they delivered him to pilate and now and the woman hid her face in her long veil in gethsemane said stephen eagerly is it an olive orchard yonder yes answered the woman her throat quivering he went there often for quiet and prayer and again she stopped struggling with her tears i was there said stephen i heard the noise but i knew not what it meant i had been sleeping hark said the woman they are coming above the roar of the multitude arose the sound of the regular tread of soldiers and presently the vanguard of the procession a detachment of roman troops came into view they were marching stolidly along their shields glittering in the bright sunshine then the three cross-bearers guarded each by a quaternion of soldiers and bearing each upon his breast a whitened board with the accusation for which he was to suffer blazoned thereon in large black letters that of the nazarene bore the strange words jesus of nazareth the king of the jews stephen gave one look and there burst from his lips that frenzied cry father titus jesus then he sank back like one dead the woman ceased her low wailing and knelt at his side stand back a little good people she cried the lad hath fainted he must have air he is nothing but a beggar said a man contemptuously giving him a push with his foot as he spoke let him be thou wilt lose it all 
They are going to take the Nazarene first. The woman hastily sprinkled some water from a small gurglet which she carried at her girdle on the face of the unconscious boy. Then, as if impelled by a resistless force, she stood up and fixed her eyes upon the awful scene before her. The soldiers were working swiftly. The Nazarene, already stripped of his garments, was laid upon the cross, which was lying on the ground. Now a few dull, heavy blows of the mallet, and the great nails were driven through the palms of his outstretched hands, then through his feet, slightly drawn up, and laid the one over the other. And now they were lifting the cross, with its burden of agony, dragging it roughly along. A dozen strong arms raised it up, and with a shout dropped it into the hole previously dug to receive it. The body of Jesus settled forward with a sickening shock. What was it that he was saying? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now followed the thieves. They had drunken deeply of the drugged wine which the Nazarene had refused. The older man fought savagely with the soldiers when his turn came, but was quickly overpowered and thrown down, and amid a torrent of horrid oaths and screams his cross was raised to a place on the left of the Nazarene. Then the young man. A mere lad, said the woman, her lips livid with horror. He was silent even as the Nazarene, save for his piteous groans. But now the form at her feet stirred. She looked down, then stooped, and raising his head gave him to drink from her water-bottle. God, he gasped as he beheld the three crosses, my Jesus, my brother, my father. He seemed about to fall back again, but suddenly he leaped up, a fierce light burning in his eyes. Where is the high priest? he said wildly. The young man is his son. He might yet be saved. Hush, said the woman pitifully. Thy trouble hath crazed thee. Nothing could save him now. The lad sank back again weakly. He had eaten nothing for hours. His brain reeled, and things looked dim and strange. I must be mad, he said aloud. Then he was silent. He heard vaguely the voices of the mob as they reviled the man on the middle cross. Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And he saw a group of men gorgeously robed, who stood near the cross, stretching out their arms with mocking gestures. He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Those be the chief priests, said the woman to Stephen, but he made no answer. The sun was nearly overhead now, and beating down with noontide fierceness, but gradually the brilliant light paled. There was a strange hush in the air. The people, frantic with excitement, did not note the change at first. Then one and another began to look uneasily upward. There was no cloud, no sign of storm, but the light was momently fading. Now it was a ghastly yellow, and now it gloomed into a lurid twilight. The people looked at one another with white faces. What is it? they whispered. Then they gazed fearfully at the man on the middle cross. He was hanging motionless, his head sunken upon his breast. The man on the cross at the left was groaning and blaspheming horribly. In the frightened hush his words could be distinctly heard. He was cursing the man at his side. If thou be the Christ, he shrieked with an awful imprecation, save thyself and us. He who hung on the other side of the Nazarene had been silent till now, save for his piteous sighing, but now he spoke. The fierce agony had cleared his brain at last. "'Wilt thou not hold thy peace?' he cried in his clear young voice, and Stephen listened breathlessly. "'Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but he is innocent.' Then he turned his dying eyes on Jesus, and said tremulously, beseechingly, "'Lord!' Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And into the face of Jesus, 
blood-stained, befouled, and ghastly with the pallor of approaching death, there flashed a look of joy so divine that Stephen's heart leapt when he beheld it. Verily I say unto thee, and his voice was clear, beautiful, and far-reaching as of old, to-day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Titus smiled radiantly. What cared he now for the pain, the shame, the dying? To-day, with him, in paradise. Stephen started forward with a great cry of longing. Oh, take me too! Suddenly he became aware that not far from him stood Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with her two other women, and John, the beloved disciple. He could see them all quite plainly in the lurid half-darkness, for the crowd, in fear, had drawn away from the neighborhood of the crosses, leaving them almost alone, save for the Roman guard. He crept timidly nearer till he could have touched the hem of Mary's robe, but he did not speak to her. He dared not. "'My son, my son,' she wailed, and again the dim eyes of the dying man brightened. He looked at his mother with an infinite tenderness. "'Woman,' he said faintly, "'behold thy son.' Then turning his eyes upon John, who was supporting her half-swooning form, he said, "'Behold thy mother.' The hours crept heavily onward. The darkness was that of night now, a starless night. The thousands who had come forth in holiday attire, full of insolent triumph to witness the agony of the crucifixion, were waiting, full of terror, for the end. They dared not move in that ghastly darkness. Save for the groans of the dying man, the silence was almost unbroken. About the ninth hour Jesus cried in a voice of agony, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It was the simple Galilean speech of his childhood, and signified those saddest of all words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But someone who was watching, hearing only the first words and understanding them not, said, this man calleth for Elias. Then he spoke again, this time faintly, I thirst. Now there was, standing near, a vessel full of the common sour wine, which the soldiers had brought to refresh themselves with, and one of them, smitten with remorse, hastened to fill a sponge with wine, and putting it upon the stem of a hyssop plant which grew near, lifted it to the parched lips of the sufferer. Let be, shouted another, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Another silence, broken only by the gasping breath of the crucified one, then, in a moment, all was over. A look of supreme joy and triumph flashed into the face of the dying man. It is finished, he cried. A last low prayer, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And with a great cry of mortal agony, his head fell forward on his breast. He was dead. Then followed a sound of crashing and grinding rocks as the earth shook with wave after wave of earthquake. The people shrieked aloud and prayed wildly in a frenzy of terror. We are undone, they wailed, and they rent their garments and smote upon their breasts. The Roman centurion also, and the soldiers that were with him, trembled with fear. Truly, they said, this was the Son of God. Then the darkness vanished as suddenly as it had come. The sun shone out gloriously, and the multitudes returned into the city, still wailing and beating upon their breasts. They remembered the words which they had spoken, His blood be upon us, and upon our children. End of chapter 29